Hey, good morning. How's everybody this morning? I bet I know what you're having for lunch. Yeah, leftovers? Come on, right? Everybody have a good Thanksgiving? We have so much to be thankful for, don't we? Hopefully we'll spread that Thanksgiving throughout the entire year. My name is Matt Williams. I'm Groups Director here. And if you haven't done so already, I'm going to encourage you to download our app. There's a QR code here. You can also download it from uh, wherever you get your apps, at whatever app store that is. Uh, this is a great app, really well thought out. In fact, some of the holes that I kind of found in our website, hard to find some information, app fills all of that. Uh, not only events, but also able to contact both ways, us to you and you to us. So I encourage you to download that. It will uh, keep you well informed for this holiday season and beyond. Uh, right now, I'm going to open uh, God's Word here, in this case, electronically. Uh, if you have your Bibles with you or whatever device you use, we're opening to Psalm 24, verses 1 through 10, reading the ESV version. There's a word inside of this uh, particular section of Scripture that says Selah, S-E-L-A-H. It's basically uh, a pause or maybe instructions for the instruments. So when you see that word, don't let it throw you off. Beginning in verse 1, chapter 24, Psalms, The earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in his holy presence? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false, it does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of God of Jacob. Selah. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Selah. That's God's word this morning. Praise be to God as we gather and continue to give thanks as we open God's word together. Jumping into our uh, Christmas series, um, a new beginning. And as we think about Christmas, there's a lot that maybe if you've grown up around church or hearing the stories or watching TV shows, favorite videos, there's a lot that maybe is stuck in your brain um, about what Christmas is and, and why we celebrate this. And really, when you think about God's Word, I always think about how lame Christmas is, like how lame we've made it to be just a baby, a manger, and presents when, when really how Christmas began, when God shows up in the desert to Abraham, who was Abram. So before he was even Abraham, Christmas begins when the Lord shows up to Abram and says, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I'm going to show you. 
So the type A homebodies are like, that's the worst Christmas card ever. Like, who's this God? And he's telling me to leave my house and my family? For me, the adventurous, yeah, let's go. And imagine that conversation between Abram and Sarai. Hey, Sarai, this God said we got to leave. It's like, what God are you listening to? I have these other gods. We're going to listen to them, not him. Like, that's not going to happen. And this is the most interesting thing because in that time and place, security was in your family. Security was in your country, in your property, among your relatives. It was in your home. So that first beginning of how Christmas began, God telling Abram to leave everything. Sounds a whole lot like what we talked about two weeks ago when Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, you have to hate your father and mother yourself. Basically, you have to love me more than anything else and follow me where I'm leading you. And this is where the promise begins in verse 2 of Genesis 12. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. See, right away there's an issue there because Abram didn't have kids. He didn't have an heir. He had, he had no one, so he's like, wait a minute, hold on. Before we talk about this whole nation business, maybe we need to talk about a child. Like, let's, let's figure out how to have a kid first, God, before we talk about nations. And then this whole great nation thing, that's a pretty bold promise. And there's over 47 promises that are prophecies of how God's going to continue to remind and to point to and to bring about his promise and reveal his power in his purposes. And he's He's not thinking about fame here. Abram's thinking about, I'm going to be forgotten. I have no heir. There's no one to carry my name, much less what I'm about to do or my property. Everything I leave will go to whoever. There's no future here. Chances are, in all reality, no one's going to remember me. I have no kids. And we see this, this blessing talk in verse 2. That's not anything that was a normal occurrence. It was the opposite. It was all about occupation. It was all about bloodshed and burdens. It, there was no blessing to be had. And so this idea of a family who's going to bless other families, a family that's going to be a nation to bless other nations in the world, that is just the opposite of what was going on at the time. In Genesis 12, 2 through 3, it says, he'll make his name great, the end of two, so that you'll be a blessing. In verse 3, I will bless those who bless you, if you've grown up in church or you've read Genesis, maybe this stuck out to you as an interesting, interesting statement. How does God have the power to bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse? That'd be really helpful, right? In the days of Facebook, social media, people are talking bad about Abram and all of a sudden it's like, boom, man, you post one negative comment on Abraham's feet and you're done. God just destroys you. And that's where... God's making this promise. Anyone who blesses you, I'm going to bless. Anyone who curses you, I will curse. And in, all, and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. It's interesting as I think back, the promise of Christmas, the, the beginning of Christmas, the new beginning, God shows up and says, look at the whole earth, one world that created that I created, I'm going to bless them through you. If you haven't picked up on it yet, Genesis and the whole Bible, it's a hymn book. It's a book all about him. It's all about God. He's the main character. 
And he's inviting Abram to be the next person, a part of the story. It was Adam and Eve. Then it went down through the generations, generations through Noah, saved him in the flood. And then from Noah's descendants, down we get Abram, the next main supporting character, supporting God as the main character. And God said, this is all about me, and I'm inviting you into this journey. All people, verse 3, will be blessed through you. See, tribes, nations, they didn't bless one another. They warred against each other. It was all about conquering, enslaving, and plundering. And God says, hey, I have a new idea. I'm going to start a new beginning, a new nation, a new kingdom, and we're going to bless one another. It's going to be great. The most amazing thing is Abraham believed the unbelievable. He believed the unbelievable promise. He believed the unbelievable promise. And we see this uh, family tree here as we reflect maybe on this last week of Thanksgiving with family, and we think uh, our family is dysfunctional. We see Abraham and Sarah, they had Isaac, and Isaac married Rebekah, and then from them, there's, there's Esau, which is the older brother, and he should have been the older brother who got the blessing, but instead it was Jacob, the younger brother, who became Israel. And, and there's a whole other sermon and story with uh, how he married, got tricked into marrying Leah when it was supposed to be Rachel, worked another seven years, married Rachel, and then they had 12 sons, and they didn't all get along. And, and it really, going back to Abraham and Sarah, if you know, uh, they were going on a little vacation, and they ended up in Egypt. It was a little wrong you know, side of the tracks, kind of the backwoods and in Egypt, and he realized, hey, Sarah, uh, the deal is the, the king of Egypt has all these women, this harem of wives, and, and you're going to be taken as one if I don't lie and say you're my sister. And you can imagine just how well that conversation went down. Uh, and then they did that, and it was bad and ended up bad, so don't do that, guys. Um, so there was a lot of family dysfunction from Abraham. He did that twice, actually. He didn't learn his lesson. He did it twice. So it was a big problem. So Abraham down to Isaac and down to Jacob. So there's a lot of trouble in their family. And then the 12 sons, you know, Joseph had these amazing dreams and he's like, guys, you're going to bow down to me one day. It's great. God's revealing all this stuff to me. That didn't go over well, as you could imagine, uh, being the, one of the younger brothers, the youngest at the time. And, and so his brothers decided, we got to get rid of this Joseph guy. He's making us look bad. The dad, our dad loves him most. Like we got to get rid of him. But they thought to kill him, they threw him in a pit. We're like, we're going to kill him. And then one of the older brothers stood stood up and, and spoke up and said, look, if we kill him, inflation's gone crazy. Like, we're going to, we can make money off of it. And the problem is we have a body. What are we going to do with the body? So let's, let's sell him as a slave. We'll make money. It'll help. We'll all get money, put money in our pockets. And then we don't have to deal with the body and blood and it's going to be messy. And we could just tell that uh, animal got him. So they sold Joseph into slavery. He goes down into Egypt. There's famine and plagues and God brings the promise through Joseph and eventually all of his brothers and, and, and this whole family becomes a nation in Egypt. So as they remember Grandpa Abraham, and they remember this promise that he was going to be a, a family that would be a nation that would, through their, their family, would, would bless the whole world. And they're thinking about that as they're getting whipped on their backs, and at night they're retelling the story, and they're like, Dad, I don't like hearing about Abraham and this promise because we're a nation, yes, but we're a nation of slaves. Where is our God? What's going on? God promised to bless the whole world through us. How about he starts with blessing us by getting us out of Egypt? Like, let's go. What is God doing? What's he waiting for? And so God sends Moses. 
And Moses saves Israel, leads them out of slavery. And what offends us so much when we read the Old Testament was normal to them. We're on the backside. Even slavery being abolished is something the world has practiced and still does practice in some areas. But we're on the backside going, that's horrible. Why would you ever do that? And you read the Old Testament and it's like, that's normal. That's how they lived. It was warring, enslaving, plundering. It wasn't wondering who's going to bless who and and when they're going to meet up and talk about how to work on trade. It was, no, who's going to conquer who and who's going to enslave who and export your country you conquered as slaves. So this family that God promised to grow and build into a nation has been a nation of slaves. Now they're saved. And the amazing thing is they become a kingdom under David. This kingdom of Israel with David as this warrior king who settles disputes and brings peace to Israel and the surrounding nations. And because of his own sin and the consequences, his family gets crazy and so he ends up not being able to see the fruit of his, his labor that, that his, his son Solomon, who prays for wisdom and God gives him wisdom. And now Solomon's the builder king who gets to build upon his dad's legacy of this peacetime and, and draws the world's wealth and draws the world's attention and, and starts to build the temple for God. And, and we see finally, for the first time, this nation, this kingdom's established, there's wealth, there's worldwide influence, and Solomon intermarries and starts using his own wisdom for, for his own gain and realizes, hey, if I marry this woman, then there's a peace treaty, and, and God told him not to do that, and if he did intermarry and he did worship other gods, then God will divide the kingdom. And because Solomon intermarried, he starts worshiping other gods because it always goes back to Genesis 3, right? The man listens to the wife. And and it's not the wife's word repeating God's word. It's the wife saying, hey, this is a good idea. We should worship these other gods. And Solomon's like, well, I bent my ear to my wife. for We all know why. And then happy wife, happy life, right? We've heard that saying. So Solomon's like, that's a wise saying. Happy wife, happy life. I'll worship other gods. Solomon dies and God is a man of his word, so God divides the economy, militaries, and chaos, and he divides the kingdom into two. So there's a northern kingdom, and there's a southern kingdom. Assyria comes in for all the history buffs. You're like, yes, finally getting into history on a Christmas message. I've been waiting my whole life for this. Assyria captures and exports northern kingdom. 300 years later, Judah, the southern kingdom, is falling apart economically, military. There's nothing left, and the Assyrians are invading as well, and God sends Isaiah to speak on account of God regarding this invasion. Isaiah 49.6 says, he says, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Judah and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. See, God has not forgotten his promise and he's like, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna make you a light for the nations. And and Judah is in shambles. The northern kingdom's already destroyed and conquered. And Judah, the southern, is like, there's, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? You're going to make us a light for the nations. We don't even have a lamp that's that's flickering. Our candle's been blown out. We're nothing. We're destroyed. How are we going to bring light and hope to a hurting world? We're hurting, and we have little to no hope. Soon after that, the Assyrians did invade and took the southern kingdom of Assyria. 300 years later, They sacked the temple, destroyed it. No economy, no military. 
In the next 300 years, Malachi shows up. Maybe you're watching FIFA and you're like, how do you pronounce it? It's not Malachi. He's not an Italian soccer player. He's a prophet, Malachi, son or daughter. Maybe you've been in that moment with your son or daughter and there's this, this failed, it's just miserable. There's not a whole lot of positivity. You know, maybe they got, they, they got pulled over, they, they got arrested, or, or maybe they, they, they lied and, and man, there's just not really a whole lot of positivity going on right now and you're trying to rally them and encourage them and, and this is where kind of Malachi's words come from. There's not a whole lot of positive things going on and he says this in verse 11 of chapter one, for from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations, right? And this backdrop of Israel being destroyed, conquered, he's like, no, listen, this is what God says for us to be encouraged. From the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. The Lord of hosts is the Lord of angel armies. So this God's up in heaven going, I got a bunch of angel armies. I'm this great God. And the nation of Israel, the family of God is looking up going, you promised you'd protect us. You promised you'd deliver us and give us this land and these, we're the laughing stock. What do you mean you're gonna, your name's gonna be great? At some point, they're probably tired of hearing the promise that God's gonna show up and make his name great because he does at times, but then they sin and they deal with the consequences of their sin and God's like, no, 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 my name's gonna be great. It's gonna be awesome. In that time, they would've looked around and they would've responded probably, yeah, I know someone who's going to be great. It's Alexander. And he's, he's united all of these Greece states, and he's conquering nation after nation. He's doing amazing work, and God's like, no, I'm the one God who's got angel armies. I'm going to be great. Just wait. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. Isn't it interesting, this talk of new world order, one world religion, and here we have, looking around the world, God's name is exalted. It's easy for us looking back, but imagine putting yourself in their shoes like I'm trying to get us to see this perspective. The whole world will bring praise to God throughout the whole world. Wherever there's worship happening, they'll worship God. The people of Judah could not bear to hear this prophecy. Because we read it and we go, this is amazing, another prophecy, another pointing to Christ. They read it as a burden, as a reminder of God saying, I'm gonna do this. They're like, when? When is it gonna be enough? When are you gonna come and save us? In 63 BC, Rome sent in Pompeii after Assyria, Babylon, Persia, the Greeks conquered them. They're like, please, that sounds awesome, God. Can you come do something? We need a military king. We need another King David. We need another military ruler to push these people out, set up your kingdom once again. In 63 BC, Rome sends in Pompeii the Great, to Judah, conquers the city, breaches Jerusalem, who gives the city, annexes it back to Rome. And, and Pompey rides up onto the Temple Mount, which if you've been around church, maybe growing up or, or hearing about history, and, and the Temple Mount is this highly contested, very holy religious site. And he walks up, rides up there on his, on his horse, jumps off and slaughters a bunch of priests. Killing people is bad. Killing priests, that's a very bad and offensive thing. So the Jews are just appalled. He goes into the Holy of Holies because 
culturally, every nation had gods and had a room where they stored their gods and there's their idols. So when you'd conquer them, you'd go and, and break their idols down in, in mockery of these gods who couldn't protect the people. And so he pulls back the curtain, which we know is the Holy of Holies, and, he, and he's expecting to see this idol, the Jews' God, and he sees an empty room. He's appalled and, and, and really laughs. And, and, and now the Jews become this laughing stock because they don't have an idol. They, they worship this, this God that they don't have an idol for. And, and so Rome laughs at them, and, and Jerusalem, Judea, Galilee are now Rome-occupied, and they kind of leave the Jews and kind of on the side. But really, it's this sad... Once again, the Jews find themselves marginalized, laughed at. They're descendants of Abraham. They didn't really become one nation. They're constantly being pushed around, attacked, burdened. There's this promise that lingers in the background, this promise that's brought up at dinner table, at their feasts, and and waiting for God to, to do what he said he would do. All the nations would be blessed through Abraham. Israel being a light to the Gentiles, when they're not even a light at all. The Jewish God would not be worshipped throughout the entire world. At this point, they're doubting, they're questioning, and, and no one really is interested in hearing about a God who can't take care of his own people. So you can't really fault the world in Rome who's like, really, you think your God's all that powerful? He claims to have all these angel armies, and we just walk in and desecrate his temple and kill the priests, his own workers. What, when is he going to protect them? But that's what makes Christmas so unbelievable. That's what makes this so just inconceivable is that God, when they're so hopeless, when there's zero hope and zero light, God's promise to Abraham is as far out of reach as it possibly can be. That's when God says it's time. That's what makes Christmas so unbelievable. Is because it, 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 his ways are not our ways. This is no way our imaginary, dreamed up, thought up plan to save the world. And God's like, perfect. And, and Paul reflecting on this, Galatians 4, I want to, I know there's a devotion reading we put in the app, uh, which has some Psalms and, and Isaiah and, and some New Testament that will guide you in preparing your hearts in, in this waiting period. But I just sat with Galatians 4. This week and even this morning, I just was like, oh, I want to preach Galatians 4, but I have to just mention it. So this is your Devo, if you want extra credit. This whole backdrop, the history of Christmas, Paul's reflecting on what I'm, what I'm saying to you in Galatians 4, and he says, in simple terms, he says, look, when the fullness of time had come, God set forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. He's saying, look, the turkey's in the oven, and boom, the moment that the table was set, and he calls everyone to the table, the perfect time when everything was set up, what was happening through all this conquest, all of this heartache, all of this hopelessness was that there was a common language that now was set up. There was a port system where commerce and language and stories could be shared so much more efficiently than ever before. Roads to transport goods, but more importantly, the good word, the gospel could be spread and connecting all population hubs. And there was now peace between nations and tribes that used to be warring and trying to conquest was now settled because of the other means that had happened. And here we see in Galatians 4, he talks about what I shared, the family history. 
how God had the undivided attention of the world at this moment in this time where Abraham had Isaac and Isaac was the gift that God gave the promised child. He wasn't the one that was born out of men's wisdom with his wife's servant girl. It was Isaac, God's promised one that came. And it was through that line that we see the world's attention undivided and focused on God. Luke 1, 26 through 27. The sixth month of the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Verse 27, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. Gabriel sent to who? To Mary. Everyone knows Mary's name. In the whole world right now, people are worshiping God like God said was, was going to happen, and everyone knows Mary's name. And later in Jesus' ministry, everyone's praising and worshiping Mary, and Jesus says, time out. Yes, everyone's going to know her name. She's definitely blessed among women, but this is a hymn book. It's all about me. It's all about what I'm doing, and, and she needs me as her Savior, and she still should be honored, but let's just focus on me. And it's amazing, because here we see in Luke 1, 26, the sixth month, Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. In verse 28, he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. It didn't feel like the Lord was with him. It didn't seem like God had remembered his promise, but here the angel makes it clear. Why did the angel have to say that? They're Jews, because they were waiting for this military conquest. They were wondering, is God still with us or did he abandon us? Did we sin one too many times? If you ever read the Bible, you'll see how often they sin and how often God has to say, look, I'm still your God. You're my people. Let's come back. That's why I mentioned those prophecies because Isaiah and Malachi were saying, look, God's still holding on to his promise. Are you believing him though? Or do you simply find his promise unbelievable? And the angel says to her, don't be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. In verse 31, behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. In verse 1, 32 through 33, he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. So God's promise is coming true. In verse 33, he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. The Lord is with you. He will be given his father, his father David's throne, and of his kingdom there will be no end as he reigns over the house of Jacob. So God's promise to make Abraham's family a nation and a kingdom came true in Jesus. That's how Christmas began. His kingdom will never end. See, it's a kingdom that's not about overthrowing and hurting. It's a, it's a kingdom of hope and peace. And it's a kingdom that spreads worldwide. And it's a kingdom that Jesus says the gates of hell will not prevail. In the end, God did keep his promise. When his promise was to be believed and was believed by Abraham, all of his generations had opportunities to say, that's unbelievable. I can't follow God. I'm going to follow my way. And that's what, that's what Paul's talking about in Galatians 4. We're right there. Are we this Christmas looking to the spirits of this world, looking to the ways of the world? Are we looking to God 
and his promise that is unbelievable. Are we believing that? That we can be new in Christ. That the, the whole point of Christmas was that we were created for God, but we chose to live apart from God, and he sent his son to bring us back to God. It's all about him and what he's doing in us, establishing his kingdom through us because of his love. This family tree, as crazy as it is, and there's way more craziness than we have time for today, and we, we keep referring to and, and teaching through week after week, and it's the promise that makes no sense that he chose them because they're way worse than us. Like I said earlier, if you want to feel good, just read the Bible and see how messed up their family is. That'll set your mind right going into another family time this Christmas, right? Okay, their, Chris, their family is way crazier than mine. Sweet, we can, we can have Thanksgiving, we can have Christmas with our family, it's going to be okay. In the end, God did keep his promise. Even though it didn't look like it for quite some time, even though the promise that we're called to believe in, that Abraham believed in, that's unbelievable, he could, we can believe God's promise because of his power. Because he is all-powerful. And he used all the conniving, crafty spirits of this world to set up this plan. And God allowed all that to happen to be like, now's the perfect time. And so as Paul reflected on it, and he shares in Galatians 4, as we reflect on it today, what is the unbelievable promise that God's calling you to believe in? I was talking about it at, this week with my son, and I was like, man, if we're, if we're blessed to be a blessing to others... If, if that's this whole gospel that God's love's in us to flow through us to others, who do you think we could help um, this season? And, and my son's like, definitely not the front left neighbor. Definitely not. Nope. I'm like, well, maybe that's who we're supposed to go figure out how to bless them. And he's like, no, you have to come with me. I'm like, nope, you're on your own. He's like, dad, this is too hard. Who is that person? It's, it's always unbelievable, right? It's always the person that you're like, I'm definitely not going to, really? I'm going to help? That? Okay, Lord, that's unbelievable. Like, they're not going to receive it. It's hard to follow Jesus. And it's usually the unbelievable ask that God asks us to bless or help or love that God has a plan to use us. And so even here, Joseph and Mary, God's like, I'm going to go straight and talk to Mary. We're going to let Joseph kind of figure this out, and then I'll send an angel to Joseph. Like, we're going to work on, it's this like, I can't believe this. This is unbelievable. You're pregnant, you went away, now you're, what's going on? And then the angel's like, hey, Joe, just believe this. This is from the Lord. Okay, I'll believe the unbelievable. I mean, you got to put yourself in his shoes and go, no, there's, there's got to be nights where he's like, well, did I just drink too much NyQuil, or was that legit an angel? Like, is this still something I can believe in? All the way through, God asks us to believe the unbelievable. And so as we close, I want to ask you, what is that promise that God's put in your heart? That he's changed you. He's made you new. This new beginning isn't just something we, we study. You know, as we think about communion, we end every week because we join together. And I've kind of named this like our holy huddle, where many of you maybe know the playbook better than others. And so you, you get the innuendos, the inside jokes. You're like, this pastor's kind of talking about us. You get that because you've studied the playbook longer than others. But others of you are like, this playbook's kind of hard. And I just went over the whole history of it to get us back into the right frame as we go into this Christmas season to think about really what the promise is all about. 
instead of just, yep, another year, manger, baby, I get saved. This is a whole history of God saying, I'm gonna save the world through the Jewish people. And, and there's Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and it all comes through the line to Jesus. And so sometimes it's hard because there's a lot in the playbook. But the reality is, we were meant to be focused on Jesus and then go love like Jesus, go serve like Jesus. And so as we end today, it's what is that person that God's called you to bless? Who is that person that God's called you to bless? What is that thing God's called you to do to love like him? And maybe for for you, you're realizing, man, I, I want to want to help people. I want to want to bless people or love people but I need to be loved. I need to be saved. And that's this an amazing thing because when we gather on Sunday, there's people that don't know that God loves you, that you don't know that God has saved you already. And so for you to believe, that's the unbelievable, right? That's the unthinkable that God would save you and you've done nothing good. You've done nothing to deserve it. That's the unbelievable part of the gospel we preach every Sunday is reminding us that God said, I know you're horrible and I know you keep running away from me and I need to show you my love. So I hung my son on a cross and he rose again from the grave and you can be saved. Romans 5.8, God shows us his love for us. While we were sinning, Christ died for us. And all through the Old Testament, when you read it, you see God showing his love for his people and grace for those who walk away and he comes after us and says, come back, I, I forgive you. If you come back to me, I'll be your God, you'll be my people, let's, let's do this again. Let's go bless the world. I'm gonna bless the world through you. It's all about me, it's all about God, he's saying, it's all about me and I'm inviting you to be a supporting role. Will you come? And so that's salvation. Believing it's all about Jesus, he paid your debt and now you can begin anew. And that's the good news of the gospel that we remind ourselves every Christmas that he came to save you for himself, to be his people, he'll be our God, and now we can go and bless the world through us because of him, because of his power. So we can believe the unbelievable because of his power. And so as we spend a few minutes in prayer this morning, what is he calling you to do? And who is he calling you to bless? Who is he gonna bless through you? I'll come up and close this in a minute.